How's it going, everybody? You're listening to Trail Tales. My name is Kyle O'Grady. I am a thru-hiker, I am a peak bagger, and this is the podcast where every single week, every single Wednesday, I have on another thru-hiker or another peak bagger or another hiking nerd just like myself to talk about their experiences on the trail. If you're new here and that sounds cool, I encourage you to listen to some old episodes maybe hit that subscribe button and see what Trail Tales is all about. If you're not new, welcome back. Either way, I'm stoked to have you, and this is a great episode. Mike Cherum, the founder and owner of Red Line Guiding in the White Mountains, is on the show today. I met Mike on a hike about a month ago, and he was such an interesting dude that I just had to invite him on the show. So here we are. We talk about so much in this episode. First of all, the company is called Redline Guiding, which implies that Mike has redlined in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. So if you don't know what that means, hang tight. We're going to get into it in just a second. If you do know what that means, hopefully you're stoked right now because it's an incredible, incredible accomplishment. And we talk all about that in this episode. Most of the episode is, is talking about that, but we also talk about his business as well. And honestly, I was curious about what it was like to start a business in the world of hiking, to take something you're passionate about and turn it into a means of supporting yourself. So we talk about that and we even got a chance to talk about the Vermont Long Trail a little bit, which I always love doing. So it was a great time. Mike, thanks so much for coming on and let's do it again soon. If you want to get in touch and let me know what you think of this episode or the show in general, you can do that a few different ways. You can send me an email, trailtalespod at gmail.com. You can go over to our website. I say R like there's anybody else that runs this show. You can go over to the Trail Tales website, I guess, and uh, fill out the contact form there. That's trailtalespod.com. That's a good way to give me some feedback or even just slide into my Instagram DMs. I know there's I know that I know that's weird, but just slide in. I'm I'm all about it. Like it's it's totally fine. Um at Trail Tales Pod. If you send me any sort of advice or feedback, I'd love to show my appreciation by sending you a couple Trail Tales stickers. So be sure to include your address as well. I'm I'm almost out of stickers, I gotta be honest. So shit, make me have to order another like round of stickers that would be that would be pretty cool so yeah please give me some feedback we're gonna get into the episode in just a second first i'm gonna read two quick itunes reviews i do this thing if you're not familiar where i read my five star itunes reviews out loud during the episode introduction so go leave me some five star itunes reviews if you like the show it's a great way to help out yeah, let's uh, let's do this. So this one says, subscribed after one episode. I love this podcast. New listener who came from following Max Cirilla's New Hampshire 48 Adventures. I'm so glad to have found a great hiking-related podcast to listen to. I live in northeastern Massachusetts, but do most of my hiking in the Whites. Oh, that's perfect for this episode. So I can easily fit two episodes into each way of my drives. I've also learned about some longer distance trails that I had never heard of before from this podcast. So thank you, Kyle, and guests for spreading the knowledge and inspiring others to get outside. That is an awesome review. Thank you very much. I think I'm just going to read that one review because it was kind of a long one. 
With that said, we're going to get into the episode now. Shout out to Terry and David, my two latest Patreon supporters. If you're interested and you want to help continue this show, please go to patreon.com slash trailtales. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. Let's do it. Number 49 with Mike Cherum. How's it going, everybody? I have Mike Cherum on the line. Mike, how's it going, dude? Hey, how's it going, Kyle? Thanks. It's uh, it's it's going pretty well. I really appreciate you taking the time to to do this show. I I will say there 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 are a couple firsts with this uh, with this episode. First of all, I believe this is the earliest I've ever recorded an episode of Trail Tales. It's not that early. It's like it's like ten fifteen in the morning. But <laughs> usually these are like in the evening, and instead of having a uh, a beer, which I usually do when I'm recording these right now, I have a coffee. So I just felt like I needed to say that. And then <laughs> the other reason this is a first is because Mike is the first guest that I'm I'm going to struggle to explain this. I feel like he's the first guest that I've had on the show that I met in person after I started the show. So what I mean by that is I've had people on the show that I have met in person, obviously, and people that I know, but all those people I met before I started Trail Tales. Mike is the first person that I met after I started Trail Tales on the trail, in person, and invited to be on the show pretty much right then and there. I'll, I'll be honest, I I don't like to bring up Trail Tales when I'm actually hiking because nobody really gives a shit about my like stupid podcast. <laughs> but Talking shop. Yeah, right? But... I was we we were just kind of talking uh, about a lot of the stuff we're gonna get into during this episode, and Mike had a lot of cool stories, and a lot of the things he said were kind of getting the gears turning, like the podcast gears gears turning in my head, and I was like thinking of all these questions that I could ask him, and so I was like, he's he's got to be on the show, so I invited him, and here we are. So Mike has done a lot of stuff in the whites he's done other stuff as well but he is i don't even know what the right term the owner the founder of redline guiding in the white mountains would that be correct to say mike yes sir awesome okay so we're gonna talk all about that business this is not sponsored by redline just throw that disclaimer out there like i said i just met him heard his story thought he was a rad dude and here we are um, so yeah, we're going to talk about that. And he is, he's also, so this is where the confusion is going to come in. <laughs> Not only does he, does he own and run this, uh, this company Redline guiding, but he is also, he, he's also completed the Redline in the white mountains, which we're going to talk about that too. If you don't know what that is, we'll get into that in just a second. So <laughs> that's yeah, so redlining. Yes, that yeah, the red line versus red line guiding. We're that's gonna that's gonna trip us up this whole episode. You watch, <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, dude. So why don't we start by or yeah, why don't you start by just kind of explaining a little bit more about who you are and how you got into hiking? I'm an older dude, fifties. Um, I started hiking when I was very young. Uh, my parents brought me up Mount Washington um, in my father's backpack at age two. Nice. Uh, by age four, <laughs> I felt I was ready to do it on my own and hiked up Tuckman Ravine Trail. Oh, nice. Um, I actually remember snatches of that hike. Um, but Tuckman Ravine is pretty astounding and yeah. it's pretty memorable. So 
Um, my mom was big on hiking, so I had to hike a lot when I was a kid, just because that's what your parents make you do. Um, but I really appreciated the uh, alpine zone, and I appreciated the smell of the fir trees, and just it's just a mind blowing experience, and I liked it. It was something that at a very young age just really loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, had a chance to, because my father was in the service, had a chance to travel to uh, Japan, and I got to hike in oh, the nice. Minami Alps in Japan. Uh, hiked Mount Fuji at age, I think it was 12. Uh, actually, no, I think it was 8. Nice. Um, <laughs> so, kind of a neat story, just to break, break out of the out of the direction we're going, but uh, not to confuse things more, but when uh, I hiked when I was young, we wore cotton uh, amid the wool and we did the best we can. We, my father had a canvas pack and just, you know, we weren't always prepared and it's funny that we survived these things uh, <laughs> looking back retrospectively. Um, Mount Fuji in particular is 12,000 foot mountain or something like that. Jeez. Um, and we basically, we were going to do an overnighter. We were going to stay at one of the huts that they have on that mountain. And, uh, I didn't have pants. All I had were shorts as a kid and I, it was cold up there. And the Japanese people using pieces of cloth, uh, washcloths and rags and whatnot and safety pins fashioned pants for me. <laughs> oh, so, wow. <laughs> So, so back on track with the story. Um, so after Japan came back, hiked more in New Hampshire. I had an opportunity to hike a lot as a teenager with teachers uh, before you had to sign permission slips and before anything like that was weird. <laughs> um, so it was just I had teachers that were passionate about hiking and fishing, and uh, they would invite me and other students out, and we would go out with them and uh, did a lot of hiking that way. Mm-hmm. Um, then I joined the service. I went to Utah, and I hiked in Utah on the Wasatch Range. I went to Italy. I lived in Italy for three years, and I hiked in the Dolomites, and I pronounced them Dolomites because that's the way the Italians pronounce them. We would pronounce them the Dolomites. Gotcha. So, really nice area. A lot of limestone over there, so it's a lot of blue water. A lot of cave uh, exploration, spelunking, they call it. So, uh, and that's about it. I, I I had to take a kind of a hiatus from hiking for several years to have a family and smoke butts. <laughs> um, I quit smoking cigarettes, uh, really, just to kind of to save my life, and that led to hiking again. I, I returned back to it when I realized that, wow, I'm, my lungs are regenerating. I'm actually getting my health back. Yeah. So it sounds like you took, how, how long was that break between, you know, all those experiences you had when you were younger and when you finally started to get back into it? Well, there was a tapering um, back in New Hampshire where I hiked a little bit, but it just kind of tapered off. So say 15, 20 years actually. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Quite a bit. Yeah. So, so here's a good question that just popped into my head. Sure. How, what, what like differences did you notice after kind of coming back to that same area, you know, whether it be environmental or even just culturally, you know, the, the other people you were seeing on the trail, can you, can you kind of just talk about that a little bit? I actually don't remember until I look at photographs from back 
uh, when I hiked when I was a kid and stuff. Uh, there's a picture of uh, my mom and I on Tuckerman Ravine Trail. And it, it looks a lot more like a trail, a hiking trail in this photo than it does now. Uh, I mean, Tuckerman Ravine Trail in particular is heavily trafficked and it also has snowcats riding on it. So it has its road width plus all the way up to, you know, midpoint up in the mountain, up to Herma Lake Shelter, um, uh, Hojo's they call it. So, <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, other than that, I, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I always wanted to live between, uh, the North Conway village and Glen. I love the area and it's certainly more populated now, more densely traveled. There's a lot more traffic now, but I wasn't driving back then. So I, it, you know what I mean? It, it really, maybe I just wasn't that aware of it or wasn't that much of a pain. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've learned living here. I've learned how to circumvent the traffic. I've learned how to understand the dynamics of the ebb and flow of traffic in North Conway. And, and I've come to a management level of understanding anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, I've, I've driven through there quite a bit as well. Um, my family has a, a home on Lake Sebago in mm -hmm. Maine and driving from where I live in, you know, Burlington, Vermont area to Lake Sebago, I go right through like a, honestly, like most of the drive is on 302. So right through Crawford Notch, right through North Conway. And I, I kind of learned how to, <laughs> at least for North Conway, how to like skirt around most of the like downtown traffic by taking that little, yep. that little bypass. I don't even know what it's called, Shh, but <laughs> don't say nothing. Don't, don't. <laughs> Don't say don't think don't speak names. <laughs> <laughs> keep keep that on the keep that on the DL. But. Yeah, the QT. <laughs> That's funny. And also <laughs> kind of funny, I actually so after we met, but before now, obviously, I've driven through there a couple times since then. And I actually just happened to notice uh like the red line guiding sign the last time I drove through there. Uh in inter interval, you said, right? Is that what it is? Interval, yeah. Interval, okay, yeah. Technically, it's technically it's Bartlett, but Intervale, you know, fourteen Intervale Lane, Intervale, New Hampshire, is a lot easier to remember. That's yeah, all. definitely, <laughs> <laughs> and it works. Definitely, definitely. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about the concept of redlining, redlining in the White Mountains of New Hampshire? Okay. Um, so why don't you start by? I'm I'm sure a decent amount of people listening know what it is, but I'm sure. A lot of people also don't. So why don't you start by just explaining what redlining is? Okay. So in a nutshell, redlining is to hike all, all the trails that are described in the White Mountain Guidebook, which is produced by the AMC. It's written by, uh, or edited by Steve Smith, Mike Dickerman. And uh, uh, Steve Smith's the owner of uh, the Mountain Wanderer Bookstore in Lincoln. So oh, really interesting. Great, great guy. If anybody's ever going through there, stop in. Dude, I actually, I actually went there a couple months ago and... I, I didn't have that much time because I was on a I was on a road trip, so I, I couldn't yeah. really look around too much. I was there just to get a specific uh, map, but I I'm very much like a map person. Like I love physical maps. You know, I, I like yeah. hook and all the apps and stuff too. But honestly, if, if I I prefer a map, I really do. And when I walked in there, my eyes just lit up. I was like looking around, like oh my god, like look at all these He'd maps be a good like, dude everywhere. Yeah, honestly, honestly, I gotta ch I, I I I don't I don't know if he has multiple employees so i can't remember who exactly i talked to but whoever the guy was he definitely seemed to know his shit so that was uh, uh, kind of a gray blonde beard 
I guess. It was, it was, it was I can't quite remember. Very friendly. I, said. I, was, I was, oh, he was super friendly. I, I was, I was in there for literally like five minutes, so I can't quite remember, but that place was really cool. If you're like a map or like guidebook nerd when it comes to this stuff, like I am, like I would definitely recommend that place if you're in Lincoln. Again, not sponsored. Um, Right, right. Anyways, <laughs> I got you off track there, or I got off track. Um, yeah, redlining. So, uh, so I am one of the people that have done this pursuit of hiking all these trails, and it's really cool. It's a lot of fun at first. Uh, at first, it's you know the the world is your oyster, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, you wake up in the morning, you say, "Well, what do I want to do? Something small, something big, something hard, something easy." And it's all exploration. It's all new stuff, and it's all like, "Wow." And another list, of course, fall in the process or can fall in the process. Oh, yeah, true, true. So, um, how many miles of trail is the – I don't even know how to – the redlining challenger. Based on the yeah. <laughs> based on the 29th edition. So the guidebook's up to the 30th edition now, but uh, I did the 29th edition. It was 1,440.4 miles. So that's that's no joke. Holy shit. Yeah, and the <laughs> amount of elevation gain is just kind of incomprehensible unless you figure out exactly the way you had gone about doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That would be just a lot of figuring, so I have no idea. Yeah, and I, I imagine – I miles. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, because it's not like – you can only plan it to hike exactly what you need to hike. I'm sure there's like backtracking at some point and looping on trails you might have already done, which adds, you know, additional a mileage. A classic example, uh, two of them, my good friend Bill Robichaud, he's the 29th fish finisher of the 29th edition, and he's actually almost done finishing redlining again. Wow. He's one of the shit. guides I have at Redline Guiding. Gotcha. Um, so he had to go back and do the tent spur. For the sh- uh, shelter spur for the geo tent site. For the <laughs> so, geo yeah. show. <laughs> so, wait. So, so the- then for those who don't know that, you know, you're talking, you know, over 20 mile bonds traverse kind of nutso, awesome thing to do, but it's a difficult pursuit. Oh, yeah. And he had to do that again just to get that spur. Which is probably what, like 0.2 miles or something like that? T- two tenths of a mile, right? Yeah, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I had to go to Mount Cabot. Three times unsuccessfully. I mean, I've been I've done Mont Cabot more than three times, but three times just for the purpose of getting the spring spur for the uh, for the fire cabin there. Uh, there's an there's an old spring, and it's that's described in the guidebook, and it's all grown over and stuff like that. There is a cairn marking it if you kind of know where to look and you're paying attention. And uh, I finally found it. It was well marked. Uh, the entrance was well marked last time I went, uh, but I had to try three times to get that stupid thing (laughs) that's incredible so i obviously i knew that a lot of these trails were you know lesser known trails lesser travel trails kind of you know coming off of one of those trails when we met each other on top of mount tremont i believe right right we were on mount tremont and you were coming up from the owls cliff side correct yep so that instantly marked you in my mind as a redliner. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I was just <laughs> – see, I do this – I feel like so many people these days, Mike, um, especially I'll say beginner hikers, will just look up like trip reports online or articles online that describe a hike and then they'll just do exactly yep. what that – 
those instructions say basically they'll just follow whatever that says and i like to yeah just take that a map. runs rampant yeah and, and like i was kind of going back to what i was saying about being a map nerd i like to just look at a map and like create my own adventure i really don't like to follow anyone else's uh trip report i guess and so that's how i yep. ended up on that trail not as someone who's trying to redline just as someone who was trying to connect like a, a three-day loop basically and 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 kind of just mess around in the whites well i really admire that kyle I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, honestly, yeah, that's it's really like, cool. You doing that, so. But I mean, it marked you as somebody different as soon as you came up that side of the mountain. It's like, yeah. well, this this guy's this guy's either redlining or <laughs> or, or just or just or he's just living out here. You know? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, oh man. Okay, so we're gonna talk about some of those lesser known trails in just a second, or, or uh, lesser traveled trails, I guess I should say. Um, sure. But what you said there about those spur trails. I mean, that's incredible. So I didn't realize that you had, that they even included these like two tenths, you know, 0.2 side trails in the red oh, yeah. a, a project or whatever you want to call it. That's incredible. And yeah. I, it, you maybe, you probably could answer this. Why, like what made the White Mountain Guidebook be like the official, like, I don't know, uh, like, What's the right, the source of truth for this, I guess? Like, why is that like what sets the criteria? Why couldn't it just be like every trail in White Mountain National Forest or something like that? Um, because the guidebook is, AMC guidebook's been around since really a long, long time. I don't know how many years. I mean, but I mean, I have an edition that's from 19. 19- 63 i think oh wow that's awesome damn and they go they go much older uh so it has been the kind of the de facto guidebook for this area i mean there's other books besides the you know the newer editions uh you know steve smith mike dickerman wrote another book i think they both wrote it uh hike the four thousand footers in new hampshire or something like mm-hmm. that uh, if you look it up it's a maroon book it's that's, that's awesome uh friend of mine Ken McGray just wrote another book on the, about the 52 with a view, which is just another list. There's all kinds of lists of peaks and whatnot, starting with the 48, 4,000 footers in New Hampshire and uh, the 52 with a view. And then there's the terrifying 25 trails, <laughs> you know, trail list and yeah. all this stuff. So redlining is just kind of along that vein. Uh, what I liked about redlining is that it, just, it had that sense of exploration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't get to be a pain in the butt until like the last 10%. And then it starts to feel a little bit, all right, now I have to do this. I have to do this. And you, um, depending on how you want to finish, um, you, you know, you want to finish on something special, preferably I, you would want yeah. to think. Yeah. I, and I finished on rainbow trail, which is arguably the prettiest trail in the white Mountain national forest. Really? I've never so. been, I've never even heard of that trail before. I'll have to check that out. Um, how did it's you... off of Carter Dome. Okay, okay. Cool, cool. I've, I've been over there. I did Black Angel once, and I've done the AT through there a yeah, couple I, times. Yeah, that but... was part of my... I stayed at Perkins Notch tent site in the Wild River. I went down Wild River Trail, went up that end of Black Angel Trail, the the western side and the Black Angel Trail I needed for Redline. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty trail with one uh, kind of like, oh my gosh, moment on it. <laughs> it's just a little scrambly thing that you're, you might fall you know you won't but um and then uh you know up to carter dome and uh down uh rainbow trail uh over south carter dome which is a beautiful summit um 
better than Carter Dawn, actually. But. Yeah, yeah. Actually, just a uh, just a couple episodes ago, I was talking with uh, with Sean Crawford, Syntax seventy seven, and we were kind of talking about how how Carter Dome is a little bit overrated in that regard. Um, yeah. How how long did it take you to complete the red line? So I uh, it took about three years from when I started keeping track. Um, I was my friend Bill Robichaud. I told you about him. He, when he was doing redlining, I'd go on hikes with him just because that's what friends do with other friends. Hi, friends hike with friends. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I was going out on some of his redlining hikes, and it's like I was immune to it. I said, well, "I'm not doing this. This is this is dumb. You're nuts, man." All this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then he and I went on a five day backpack. We did the uh, western part of the state, which is actually isn't even on the maps. You know, it's part of the, from Dartmouth over to uh, uh, Glencliff, uh, part of that isn't even on the maps. So we have to use different maps, uh, uh, National Geographic maps to get that done. But we went on this five day backpack and it's just, I really enjoy backpacking. Bill's, we've been good friends for years and it's just, it was a fun trip. And it's like, wow, I decided to download the spreadsheet and see where I was on the redlining you know, mm-hmm. pursuit. Mm-hmm. And I believe I was at 42% when I finally started officially. And okay, it took me three okay. years after that. It should have taken me 10 years. I um, just went at a more leisure pace uh, for the last two years. So, yeah. uh, but I had gotten all the way up to the eight. I did like over, over 40% in one year. That first year I started keeping track. I went kind of gangbusters <laughs> and, uh, that's and it's just, you know, it's really is. It's just such a worthy pursuit. You, I get to see so much. And I think it's one of the things that makes my company, Redline Guiding, uh, stand out is that we're not just going to some, like you say, a trip report and, you know, doing this prescribed hike. Like, so let's say Franconia Loop. Beautiful hike, best in the country, yada, yada, yada. Very crowded. A lot of people up there. Oh, yeah. And there's that experience can be found elsewhere in the whites. But so that's where you, when you're doing things like redlining, you're doing these lists, you start getting a real good understanding of what's out there and what areas are going to offer what. Um, people would get on Facebook, and much to my humor, <laughs> and they would complain about the number of people on Franconia Ridge on a Saturday yeah. in the summertime. As if, first of all, they're not part of the problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> and second of all, what did you expect? So, and and then I would just laugh at this because it's like, wow, I haven't seen anybody for six trips. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Mike, I think it's so awesome that you're saying this stuff. Um, a lot of my listeners that have listened to the last, like, I don't even know, like, batch of episodes, more recent episodes have heard me say this multiple times, but I've been like trying to go, which is exactly, you know, how we met on that hike I was doing. Um, I was trying to go and explore areas of the whites that I hadn't gotten, hadn't gotten around to seeing when I was, you know, pursuing the 4,000 footers. And you're kind of, I feel like you're kind of saying the same thing there, at least in the regard that you're, you're talking about bringing people out to some of these areas that, aren't as heavily traveled, aren't as well known. And also that obviously relates back to, to redlining. You get to see these areas that most people aren't seeing. So I love to hear that because that's pretty much exactly what I've been kind of talking about these last couple episodes. So that's fantastic. It gets even better, Kyle, if I may. Yeah, go for um, it. The Forest Service really 
promotes the use of things, doing things like redlining. Uh, because the term that they use is dispersal of use. And yeah. that really impacts the forest a lot less if you get people spread out mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of having these places. That, I mean, you go up to, you know, not to pick on Franconia Ridge, but you go up to the summit of Lafayette and it looks like the moon up there. Mm-hmm. And if you go to other places in the whites and you realize that's not actually what it's supposed to look like up there. Mm-hmm. If it were pristine, it would be rocks with lichens, with alpine plants probably nestled in the little nooks on Franconia Ridge. Instead, it's kind of dirty and it's it's scarred just from the number of boots walking on it and, and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's 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 a little bit tricky because Franconia and the Presidentials are obviously very unique. Like those are you know one of a kind places. They're absolutely incredible. But what I think people don't realize is that. You don't – well, I, I feel like most of the people listening to this show probably realize it, but, you know, the more casual hikers probably don't realize that there's so many other, like, amazing, amazing places in the whites and other – like, everywhere for that for that matter. You don't have to just go, like, way above treeline to get those awesome views and get those awesome experiences, you know? Yeah. It's, there's a lot out there if uh, – and, you know, that's just on the trails. Don't even yeah. get me started about bushwhacking. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, yeah. That's if a... you look at the maps, there's a whole lot of green without red lines on them. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's yeah. I, I haven't done any bushwhacking yet. Although I will say that uh I think it was I should have brought my map with me here. There's like a Bartnum Bartnum trail or something like that that I came up to meet you on top of Tremont the first time. Um yeah, it's I know what you're talking about. I that was uh, basically a, that felt like a bushwhack, but <laughs> yeah, incredible. that is. I was just say that side of the mountains, it's pretty grown in, and that's really steep. And uh, I went down that when I redlined that; it was pretty sketchy. Yeah. Um, so I got onto Al's Cliff actually, and I had one bar and sent a text to a buddy of mine and asked him if he could pick me up on Bear Notch Road because I didn't want to go back up. And I was redlining. I said, "Well, this is just a great opportunity." I mean, to for me to finish this whole segment of trail and whatnot yeah yeah and he got the text and he happened to be driving by and it actually worked out perfectly because it wasn't (laughs) at all inconvenient for him i mean he was actually going to be on bear notch road at the time (laughs) i needed him to be uh so he got there like 15 minutes before i showed up and he's comes start walking walking down the trail he's wearing his crocs and stuff like hey buddy (laughs) (laughs) the trail gods provide Damn, that's, that's yeah, pretty funny. Yeah. But that trail, see, and this is kind of leading into my next question about this. That trail was hardly a trail. I talked about this a few episodes ago. Um, I, I've done other trails that are certainly not as well-traveled as the more popular trails. So I wasn't going onto that trail expecting it to be like, you know, any portion of the AT through the whites as right. far as uh, impact goes. But that was probably the most, like seldom traveled trail i've ever hiked on not just in the whites but anywhere i mean in i was talking about this with uh again with with uh, sean crawford syntax 77 that trail like if if somebody wasn't an experienced hiker and didn't know what the sign or didn't know what signs to look for as far as um staying on trail like things like, like little like worn roots and things of exactly this dude exactly what i'm talking yeah. about and think about now what the, the leaves are going to drop it's going to oh, get really hard. Yeah, honestly. And it's like if someone yeah. didn't kind of have that, uh, have, have that, like, or know what to look out for, basically, 
I feel like they could have easily gotten lost on that trail, or at least had to turn around. Um, hopefully, they would have turned around if they couldn't stay on trail. Um, I think that's Brunel Trail. Br- oh, okay. Br- Br- yeah, Brunel Trail. Something with a B. I know it starts with a B. I should have had a map in front of me. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Um, so, my question is... You you probably can't give me like an exact number, obviously, but just like roughly, like how much of the red line is that even the right way to say it? Like the red line, or how much of redlining is on trails that are like that? You know, not well traveled, kind of difficult to stay on. Quite a bit. A lot of the trails in the wilderness areas, and even non wilderness areas, like in the Kilkenny, between Wombeck and you know over the weeks is uh, so before you know everything between there and. Um, uh, Cabot? Uh, mine fart there on the Bunnell Notch Trail or whatever okay. it is. Um, everything in between there is like ferns. It's really hard to follow and stuff like that. You, you, and you do. You have to become – if you're going to redline, you have to become a tracker, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to find corridors. You have to learn how to f- note the signs. I mean, sometimes it's something really dumb – <laughs> that just people will walk by and they won't notice. But you know, boy, there's a log over there with a with a rock on it. Yeah, that's a trail marker. Can't you see it? You know, it's very obvious. Or you see <laughs> something that's cut with a saw in the middle. Yeah, of the Yeah, that's one I've always looked out for. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, even really old too. It's all covered with moss, but it's like, oh, okay. And then you you look down, you part the ferns. It's like, oh, I think there's a treadway there. And then you look, and there's oh, there's a root with some wear on it. It's like, wow, this is, and it becomes very clear. Yeah, yeah. But uh, some areas, I mean, even with some popular trails uh, through deciduous forests or the northern mixed forest, as they say, um, let's say going to Kerrigan on Signal Ridge Trail, there's some sections in there where it's all open beach. And if the leaves come down and cover the trail, you know, I don't know how it's blazed. I haven't been in there for a little while, but... um, uh, and you won't have the blazing in the wilderness areas. So wilderness areas are more difficult to follow anyway. Yeah. Um, a trail corridor in the White Mountain National Forest is four by eight with a 24-inch treadway. This is by design. <laughs> Obviously, you know, you you know the trail you run is nothing like that, and that's outside of a wilderness. Yeah. And yeah. inside the wilderness, they're even smaller. They're three feet by six feet with an 18-inch treadway mm-hmm. no blazing no distance markers on the signs they will have signs but you know yeah dude actually <laughs> i know i noticed that when i was where was i i was in the San- sandwich wilderness i think uh, uh the trip before i met you um i i was i actually noticed that because i was again i was it, that that trip had the same design as my other one i put together a random loop of areas i hadn't experienced during my four thousand footers and I like came to that realization because as I'm sure you know, there's like a ton of trails over there and like a ton of intersections and stuff. And so I was, <laughs> yep. I was passing a ton of trail signs, but I noticed that I was like, man, none of these signs have the mileage on them like I'm used to, you know, and I had a map yep. so like I was fine, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. There's for redliners, there's some areas that are particularly challenging. I mean, you're talking about messes of trails and the sandwich range over by Chikora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, there's a lot of trails there. There's a lot of, you have to repeat a lot of trails to get this done. Yeah, I was going to say, so that's yeah. that's actually a good segue into my next question. I know you did a lot of the red line or you, see, I see. Redlining? <laughs> yeah, redlining. You did a lot of the redlining, whatever. Um, yep. <laughs> before you actually like kind of set out to like complete the whole thing, but you still did 
a lot of it after you had yeah like decided you were going to pursue this well some stuff i had to go back for okay okay yeah you know because i wasn't redlining and my advice to anybody hiking in the white mountains national forest okay your very first day hiking keep track of everything <laughs> do every side spur that you see keep track of everything use a map plan this pretend you're redlining right from the start you'll just save yourself a lot of aggravation when you finally get around to doing it <laughs> yeah yeah, little, and if you don't, nothing's tip. wasted. Yeah, yeah. You're still going to see some cool shit for sure. Um, so. How, like, logistically, how do you, like, plan out these hikes? Because, like, I'm used to, like, peak bagging, right? Where it's like, okay, you just go and tag the peaks. But if you're actually, if, if like, your objective is to actually just hike this trail, like, regardless of where it ends up, you know. So and then you map wanna, like, adventures back, makes like, a map. And I literally took a magic marker. I mean, not all the trails were on there, but it was a hike for a 4,000 footers map. Not all the trails were on there, but I took a, a a sharpie and basically blacked out the red lines. I, I called it ex- extinguishing the red lines. Okay, <laughs> um, and that's what I did uh, in conjunction with a spreadsheet. Uh, okay. And there were some areas that are obviously not on that map. Uh, to give you an idea, uh, you get up in the Percy's um, Nash Stream Forest area. Uh, Pittsburgh, all the way up to the fourth Connecticut Lake Trail, which runs uh, on the border uh, between the U.S. and Canada. The, the You actually park at Customs. You have to kind of go around Customs, if you will. Yeah, dude. I, I see. I didn't realize that. I, I was under the impression that it was all just within White Mountain National Forest. I didn't realize that shit went like up there and was like near the yep. Cohos Trail and like all that stuff either. So that's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, but it's not all of the Cohos Trail. And there's certain areas, you know... Um, like Mednadnock, uh, Cardigan. Yeah, that's not that's none of that's on Redline. The uh, the Belknaps aren't on Redline. Interesting. Uh, though part of the Ossipee Range. Uh, oh no, that's not on Redline either. Robinson Shaw, they're on the fifty-two with the view list, but not on Redline. Gotcha. So there's, yeah, it's it's quite a bit, and it goes down to for Redline the Squam Range. I guess this is far south. Um, listen blanking out on something and mm-hmm. then uh, and then you know west all, all the way to uh all the way to dartmouth all the way to vermont and then all the way to you know and it goes into maine so some of the white mountain national forest some of what's described in uh the it redlining the white mountain guide is actually in maine your hiking trails in maine yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's complete like- with the hearing the banjos playing in the background no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> so good so good dude Oh man, that's I'm I, I'm I'm learning so much about this. Uh, so you, this is going to be a hard question for you to answer, but just whatever comes, you know, top of your mind first. Um, obviously you've experienced like most of the whites and like all of this shit. Um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot to choose from here. But what would you say <laughs> would be one of the most underrated either trails, peaks, or just parts of the White Mountains? Ooh. Um, maybe the Caribou Speckled Wilderness. Is that the part area. in Maine? If yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Okay, I haven't been yeah, over and, there and yet. Wild so that's cool. And Wild River too. So I there's uh, there's you know people will ask me what's my favorite mountain and stuff like that, and it's not about the mountain usually. It's actually usually about the individual hike. Yeah, the weather that day, who I'm with, the particular vibe, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so I can repeat something that, you know, maybe it was mediocre one time, which 
mediocre in the mountains is <laughs> it's still awesome you know oh yeah oh yeah and it could be you know really exceptional uh, on another time of course you know on another day it could be downright dangerous yeah yeah so uh and, and so you know as people ask me you know what's a favorite trail and I'll actually, honestly, I will say, uh, I really like Ethan Pond Trail, where it goes in front of Whitewall from uh, from Ethan Pond, and that whole area is a lot of bog bridges. It's rail grade. It's fairly flat. It's just, it's, uh, it's crazy scenic. <laughs> Ethan Pond, where? See, dude, I I don't know what I was thinking. I should have had my map here. Um, where is Ethan Pond in in the Whites? Um, it's uh, runs behind Willie Field and Tom. So oh, okay. it kind of it starts on 302 and it ends at the twin way, which is it's actually part of the AT. So it's nothing oh. it's not it's not like a secret or anything like that. It's just a really nice section of trail I'm just particularly fond of. Dude, and I don't mind telling people that, you know, if they want to do it, they can do end to end, include Zealand Trail. It's like nine and a half miles, and the first one point six miles you're going uphill, the rest of the day is a kickwalk. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about now. Well, I can't believe I blanked on that. I mean, I guess to be fair. And if you're a fisherman, Ethan Pond itself is one of two native trout ponds in the state of New Hampshire. Oh, interesting. So it's never been stocked. And that you can fish whatever you want. You can use worms in there if you, if you want, which I guess I, for, yeah, well, I guess it'd be fine. Uh, you need to use barbless hooks. You can use a spinner. You can use fly. It's all catch and release. Uh, you'll catch trout that are, you know, up to maybe six inches. A big one would be, say, six inches long. But this is where they 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 have a New Hampshire accent. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. So, I love it. And Whitewall Slide itself, for those so inclined, it's pretty gnarly. So it's yeah, the kind dude. of thing you probably want to, you know, you probably want to work like climbing helmets just and be really cognizant of rock fall. It's a very active slide. I'm not endorsing or suggesting anyone go out there, but those so inclined, those that are properly trained or, or guided, uh, it's really kind of neat. That, that's a bushwhack. That's a bushwhack. Yeah, dude. So I, I'm kind of pissed. I, I blanked on that when you first said it, because I absolutely remember that section going through there on my AT through hike in 2018. And yep. that was because I I'd completed the 4,000 footers prior to doing the AT. So I'd, I'd seen a lot of the AT through there already, but yep. I hadn't ever gotten around to going from the Zealand hut down to 302. So I had, yeah. that was one of the few areas in the whites or on the AT in the whites that I hadn't done yet. And I do remember that section. That was, that was really fucking cool. And that slide reminded me quite a bit of the Adirondacks because in the Adirondacks, I don't know if you've had a chance to go over there, um, but there's a ton of slides like that. Like, I don't know. It's just, more I have not hiked there. in the, I have not hiked in the Adirondacks. There's a lot of places I haven't hiked. There's a, an entire, you know, I've hiked in California. I've been a loss and I've done Pikes Peak and I've, I, uh, in Colorado and I've uh, been to Grand Canyon like six times. There's so much I haven't hiked though. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There's... It's a whole big world out there. <laughs> yeah, dude. People, you know, like people say, wow, you're so knowledgeable. And it's like, man, you could just, you could fill... <laughs> <laughs> you can build a warehouse where what I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always, there's always so, more, man. There's always more. You know, you brought up the AT. I, I'd like to just mention something. Sure. I, I did the long trail uh, back in 2015 Hell with yeah, my man. friend, <laughs> with my friend Bill that I mentioned before. Nice, nice. And I, I really have to say that was probably, absolutely, uh, a top five 
experience for me my entire life. Uh, and, and it's and it's and it's really and it's really competing with number one, which I don't know what number two is. This is the one that stands <laughs> out the most. But it was 21 days of hiking, and it was a, it was a freaking illusion. And I knew this going into, it, and I know this coming out, and it doesn't make it any less fun and real. But you know, you send your packages ahead of time, you plan accordingly, you, you just use a little common sense, and next thing you know, you get to stop adulting. In my case, for 21 days. And just party it up on the long trail. Hike. Yeah, dude. And that's an amazing trail, too. Hike, shit, eat, sleep, rinse, repeat. <laughs> I love it, man. I've done I've done the long trail twice. And I mean, I'm from this area. So that's like really where yep. I like first was introduced to hiking. So that trail has a soft spot in my heart for sure. Um, Did you know, Bo? I, I, the first time I, I did it in sections. The second time I went, I went northbound. Yeah. Okay. I think that's just the absolutely best way to do it. The the terminus of that trail oh, on the Canadian it's, border. It's amazing, dude. It's amazing. Oh my god. I was so I was almost reduced to tears. It was certainly bittersweet because it was, you know, had to come to an end. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, dude, that trail's that trail is so much fun. I, I especially the northern part of that trail. I love yeah. the northern part of the I mean the AT section is is cool, but the part that splits from the AT, like up where I am pretty much in the Burlington and, and North area is like, in my opinion, that's some of them like the best hiking in, in the northeast, yeah. at least that I've done. I, I love that shit for sure. One thing we notice when doing the long trail is that if there's a map and it says that the trail goes downhill on that map. If you're in Vermont, the trail actually goes uphill. <laughs> I can't say I don't I've know if you can relate that, to this. I don't know. I don't know. There seems to be a lot of uphills in. Yeah. What What exactly do you mean by that? Because <laughs> I, I I haven't really. Experienced well, you, you that. know, I'm you'd be sure. descending into it. You'd be descending into a notch. So you'd be coming off the summit. You'd be coming off the summit of a mountain, and all of a sudden you're you drop into a, a, a valley and you're going up over another ridge. And it's like, wow, I'm going uphill again. Is, we just <laughs> seem to notice that a lot. Bill and I both. <laughs> I was like, my God, there's a lot of uphill in these downs. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, 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 and we noticed, and we called the view, the viewpoints that were on the map, we called them view knots <laughs> because almost, you know, and we did it in the fall, but we still had some leaf cover. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's a perspective. Yeah, dude, it's I, did, a perspective I didn't thing. expect to talk about the long trail. I always love talking about the long trail because, like I said, that is like, I mean, that's how I started hiking my section hike of the long trail. I was still in high school at the time, and that was like my first ever like hiking accomplishment. So, uh, real, real soft spot there. I kind of want to talk about we haven't we're like 40 40 minutes in here we haven't even talked about the red line guiding yet so i want to i want to give you a chance to talk about this um so yeah why don't you just go ahead and explain what exactly your guiding service is okay well we provide three basic uh functions um one we guide outdoor adventures so we will take people on new england hundred highest peaks we will take them into maine and do stuff over there we'll take them into the whites if they're working on the 48 if they don't have somebody to hike with and want an experienced companion we do a lot of stuff like that um even some really highly trained people they they know the the dangers of hiking solo um, so like in the wintertime, they'll hire us to go with them. Uh, we train and take a number of people up Mount Washington in the wintertime. It's kind of, uh, 
it's kind of something you really need to do once in your life. You know what I mean? To be in <laughs> Washington in the winter. So it's, it's pretty epic. Um, and then a uh, second function we offer is uh, to do wilderness education. So we teach people map and compass skills. We teach people camp craft, which is basically, you know, backpacking 101. Uh, teach people how to do river crossings, uh, which is a really, really enjoyable class, I have to say, on a really hot summer day. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, you know, get right into the science of rock hopping and get people to understand that, how to read the rocks. And then how to read the rivers when fording and then use team fording techniques is actually quite a bit involved with it. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, it's based loosely on one, my own experiences uh, as a hiker. Uh, and two, as uh, it's some training that I had uh, gotten through an affiliation with search and rescue. Okay, cool. So interesting. And uh, the third function that we offer, which could be classified as an outdoor adventure, I suppose, depending on how you look at it, is <laughs> we offer mountaintop and wilderness wedding services. Dude, when you told me that when we were when we when we met each other, <laughs> I was like cracking up. I think that's fucking awesome. Weddings on top of a mountain. <laughs> I, I I love it. I just did one, one a real memorable one. It was such a beautiful day. Uh, it was on South Twin. <laughs> I just, you know, met the couple up there. They stayed at Galehead Hut, and I went up the North Twin Trail and, and went over that. Way. How how frequently are people like? using your services for that like how often are people getting married on top of mountains <laughs> um it's probably like one in four are mountain top or or maybe half of them are, are a lot of them are like square ledge or cathedral ledge or ellis you know glen ellis falls and stuff like that mm -hmm. which is great i mean these are awesome locations and that's you know they're relying on our knowledge of the area to, for accessibility yeah. convenience yet still having that you know stunning wow factor uh, elephant head that's been used a few times uh, i've done you know mount willard mount washington and um star king uh i did a sunrise wedding on a uh, little haystack <laughs> and that was particularly cool i met the uh, uh they stayed at liberty spring and i hiked up falling waters trail uh you know from the pre-dawn met them up there i and i'm always early I, uh, being late to a wedding is just unacceptable. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like up there hunkered in the rocks for an hour before sunrise. Uh, <laughs> and they get there, they're on time and they uh, get there, you know, beautiful wedding. And that was a really nice one because like, well, thank you guys that have a nice trip back that they went back to Liberty Spring tent site. And I finished the loop. I was on at 7 a.m. I was over on Lafayette. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not battling the crowds i should add <laughs> yeah no kidding uh one of the things that really uh stuck out to me when learning about redline guiding is that you were able to take something that you were passionate about that is hiking and turn that into a business turn that into a means of supporting yourself and, and give you the opportunity to live in the whites because uh, i mean as a software developer like i can't really do that there's not exactly too many software companies uh in, in north conway yeah. i'll say that so that that really stuck out to me so I'm, it was a dream of mine yeah dude I, I'm, I'm really curious to hear about like kind of the history uh you know what kind of pushed you over the edge to start this and i'm, I'm also kind of curious to hear if you were kind of nervous to kind of take that step and actually go ahead and pursue this uh not really uh, so I, um, remember I mentioned I quit smoking. Yeah. My ex-wife had quit smoking at the same time, except she didn't. 
she relapsed, if you will, for lack of a better term. Uh-huh. And, 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 and I was taking off. I was going hiking. I was rejuvenated, to say the least. And I was taking off on a Saturday, coming back on a Sunday, just totally charged. Mm-hmm. Totally, God, like I had sex. <laughs> my ex-wife thought, I, I believe she thought I was having an affair. My daughter told me this. And I, and I really was, but it wasn't with another woman like she thought I was having an affair with the mountains. Yeah. So that basically led to a divorce. I came home from hiking. She was gone one day. She can't do this anymore. She must have thought I was like fooling around on her. Um, I, uh, I said, well, what am I going to do? I mean, I had a business. She was the general manager for the business. We had been married for 26 years. And uh, I, you know, I sold the company and sold the house and sold everything basically kind of had to and split everything. And, and I, you know, I said, well, this is my chance. This is a do-over. And I had been hiking a lot and it's like, what am I passionate about? And Jesus, I've been hiking, you know, I've been passionate about hiking since I was a little kid. Like I said, four years old, not Washington in Mm -hmm. in summer. And I uh, decided I wanted to be a mountain guide. I knew there was a long, long history of hiking guiding in the White Mountain National Forest, before, long before it was White Mountain National Forest, with the Crawfords up in Crawford Notch, taking people up Mount Washington on horse or by foot, and the, the women in their, you know, the dresses with the, you know, eight layers of fabric in these poofy dresses that they're wearing uh, back in the day. So there's a long history of that. And I just, I thought this would be, it's an honorable thing to do. It's, it's, you know, it's not like working at the DMV. People come to us, they want to be there. Yeah. They're happy. And, and it's a, just a super positive vibe and the whole energy of the whole thing. is just like, it's such a good experience. And, and, and I really, I mean, part of it is a big part of it is my guides. My guides are awesome. Uh, I, you know, I first, First thing somebody should do, they go to our website, is go to the about and then guides and read the some of the resumes of what my guides are done. Ar- Arlette Lon in particular, she, she, she's done the Triple Crown, which, as you know, and some of your leader, uh, re- uh, listeners probably know, is that's doing the PCT, Pacific Crest Trail, the CDT, the Continental Divide Trail, and the AT. So that's the Triple Crown. She's done that. That just scratches the surface of what this woman <laughs> has done. She's done the diuretissima here in the Whites, which is to do all of the 48, 4,000 footers in one hike. <laughs> so it took her eight days or change, something like that. Which is incredible. So yeah. beating her old record of nine. And her, and her husband's even even crazier. for uh, And Rich, I forgive that term if you hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy is not the right term, but... You know, he's done like back to back diuretismos. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Damn. and you know, he'll do the Kilkenny uh, or he'll do uh, Mahusik Range, which that's 32 miles and it's 32 Mahusik miles. Yeah. And you've done the AT, so you know exactly what I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he, he's gotten to the end of that and turned around and gone back. That's <laughs> 64 Mahusik miles. That's incredible. In that's a day. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's just, it's, it's, you know, he's not one of my guides. That's her husband. But she, her credentials are equally as powerful and just, and half my guides, it's just the same way. They yeah. just, the yeah. stuff that they have done, their experiences and, and they're, they're passionate about this. So when people book with us, 
they're not just getting somebody who has medical knowledge. They're getting somebody who really understands the mountains around them. They know the lore, they know, you know, and I'm not one, I don't know all the flora and all the fauna. I, I you know, if I was going to go into the whites naked and afraid, I'd probably starve to death. <laughs> so I, you know, I know I have a handful of things I can eat and they're seasonal, trust me. <laughs> You know, I'd be trying to live off pine needle tea, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd do too well either. <laughs> Definitely yeah. not. I guess bracket fungi are edible. I could crunch on those. They're 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 in abundance. Bracket fungi. See, see. I, yeah. I I literally know nothing. Like I I would end up resorting to eating like dirt probably or like those are the ones that look <laughs> like little shelves. Okay, okay. Actually, I think I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, then. yeah. Yeah, some of the bigger ones they use them for art. They scribe the underside, the white underside, and it looks it's pretty. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah. Um, so, one of the questions that I, or really the first question I had asked you when we first met each other, was okay. Let me let me let me let me back up. So before I had that initial conversation with you, I didn't really know much of anything about guiding. And the very limited thought I had put into it was always kind of like, oh, why do people need guides? And, and the reason the reason I had that perspective is because I'm very much like a DIY like kind of person, I guess. Like um, when I first started hiking, I just kind of researched myself and, and figured it out. I wasn't trying to spend money on it. With this podcast, for instance, I do everything, all the editing, all the planning. I built the whole website myself. Like I just, that's very much like who I am as a person. So personally, that's how I roll too. <laughs> exactly. So it's like personally, I would. It's not intuitive for me to spend money on having somebody like taking me out there like that. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the question I I asked you was like why like why do people need a guide? And your answer, which I'm gonna let you give in just a second, obviously, really kind of changed my perspective a little bit. So I'm I'm sure there's somebody else out there that that feels the same way I do. So I kind of want to give you a chance to maybe change their mind a little bit. Or not, it, you didn't even really change my mind. You just kind of educated me because, like I said, hadn't really put yeah. that much thought into it. But yeah, why do people? Uh, use your your services, you know, who are your clients? Can you just talk about that a little bit? Well, I mean, like I uh, said before, uh, a lot of people just want a companion. And having a knowing companion is, you know, somebody who's trained is even better. Mm -hmm. uh, but they don't want to go to Facebook and, you know, pick someone off the shelf, so to speak. They, you know, we're, we're a known entity. Yeah. People know what they're getting with us. They know that they're getting professionalism. They know that they're getting, you know, the training and, and the background and stuff like that. Uh, so there's certainly that safety perspective, uh, safety, uh, you know, somebody coming into the area and if they're on vacation or something, want to hike something really, really cool, um, they're going to go online maybe and find one of these go-to hikes and, you know, battle the crowds, stand in line at the summit of Mount Washington. Yeah. Yeah, they got it. Okay. It was really cool. You know, uh, or we can provide something much better because, again, our understanding of the mountains. So, from a safety standpoint, from a, a richness of experience, and just to having a companion uh, in some cases. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then the training goes to you know the, a lot of the stuff we do is the, is the training. You know, the the wilderness navigation. I'm I'm teaching that to most of the people that I teach that to are hikers. They're done their 48 or they're, you know, they're working on their New England 67 or they're thinking about doing a New England 100 highest and they just want to feel more uh, attuned and more aware of where they are on trail and stuff like that. So that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And like I said, I'm glad you were kind of able to explain that to me on top of Mount 
Tremont or whatever it is. Tremont. Yep. Tremont. Um, Which is on the 52 with a view list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And I don't know, that that really did kind of open my uh, open my eyes and, and give me that different perspective. I'll be honest, I didn't really realize that you guys did the uh, the training as well. I was under the impression from our from our previous conversation that it was just guiding. So that definitely makes a lot of sense that experienced hikers would be wanting to learn those those extra One of skills, our really you know? popular offerings coming into this season, um, we're still doing wilderness navigation until the snow flies pretty much. But uh, one of our popular offerings as soon as the snow starts is to do winter skills, half day course. Uh, we teach people basically everything they need to know to uh, to go up there anyway and be somewhat reasonably if they follow directions and are and are tuned to you know aware of themselves and, mm -hmm. and practice self-care and stuff they can go into the mountains and hike pretty safely in the winter time yeah and then in the afternoon we teach them mountaineering skills uh which if they're going to use traction crampons micro spikes even snowshoes these some of the skills we're going to teach them and that are very helpful okay uh and then you know, we prepare people to take them up Mount Washington uh, or to go up Mount Washington in the wintertime. And then navigationally, it's really, you know, something like that because a lot of people have been killed. It's just a really good idea to have um, a guide. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, even even for really experienced hikers, you know, depending on the day, there's some days you can go up Mount Washington and it's almost a carefree experience. It's, you know, so brilliant that sunshine, you got to wear shades. <laughs> the future's <laughs> looking so bright, you got to wear shades. <clears throat> and, you know, it's just, there's no wind. It's balmy temperatures and, and you feel lazy going up the summit cone and you, you stop and take a break every 15 minutes, just plunk down and just like take in the view. Mm -hmm. Those days are rare and even those days can suddenly change uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, dude. Yeah, so, dude. So we, we, we know as guides too, we kind of are aware of all the resources. We know how to interpret the, the forecast, you know, uh, a lot of sometimes forecasts will turn people away and it's like, no, no, we our understanding of this is like, this is pretty doable what we're talking about here. So, you know, we can turn a no go, uh, to a person who's uninformed and ultra prudent to, uh, a go situation and, you know, have a really good time. Um, so, and of course we know when to not go, which of is course. really important, of course. you know, of course. uh, you know, uh, a case like that might be, um, really bitterly cold temperatures up there, um, where if someone were to, you know, just twist an ankle or something like that it, and people had to stop, it could be of dire consequences. People would be risking limbs. Mm -hmm. It's probably not a good day to go. Yeah, or say <laughs> if rime ice has formed on every surface overnight, so there's nothing but white on white in a white background. Okay. And it's still forming. Even your goggles and you are going to get covered with rime ice. That's probably not a good day to go <laughs> because just seeing uh, is going to become a challenge. You know, and to see, you still need to see to walk. Even if you're using devices and compasses and all kinds of satellite, this and that, you still got to see to walk in front of you, with, you know, without tripping and stuff like that. And if your goggles are, you know, fogging up on the inside or they're getting rhymed over on the outside, even if you have two pairs and you're changing them out like you should, it's really challenging. Yeah, man. And that challenge can lead to fear and it can lead, lead, lead to 
bad judgments and, you know, poor decision making. And, you know, it's just, it can be a cascading effect. Yeah. So, and I know this because I've been scared up there before. It's not always comfortable going into the shit, as they say. Yeah, dude. And, I, and I think it's awesome that you are able to kind of provide services to people that I, I feel like, and, and I'm sure you could speak to this more, but I, I feel like there's a lot of people that probably wouldn't have gotten into hiking if they hadn't kind of taken that first step and not even with 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 your company but even just any guiding service at all like kind of use them as yeah. a way to get introduced to the mountain so oh sure i mean you know from meetup groups to the amc there's there's options out there for you know people want uh to get their feet wet mm-hmm. um you know our offerings are a little bit more individually focused so we tend not to take out real big groups and stuff like that. We, you know, we can, we're very, very careful. Even if we put two people, if we put John with Mary, is this going to be a good match? And we're not talking about the dating thing here. We're talking about, is John hike really, really fast and Mary go really, really slow? Well, if we put those two together, it's going to suck for both of them. John's yeah. going to feel held up all day and, you know, and Mary's going to feel under the gun like she's being rushed all day and we can't just put mary in the front of the line and say here you set the pace you know so that's where the guide comes in or actually the guides set the pace because we know what kind of pace we need to set to get things done without burning people out just little things like that are it's just part of guiding yeah dude that so. that's that's awesome and i'm really glad that i was able to kind of learn about it a little bit more from you with that said mike we're getting towards the end of the episode here so i think it's time for time for a story what do you say yeah and i have i have one in mind for you awesome uh it's a story that's been told i wrote it it's been republished it's uh, in appalachia journal which is amc's very prestigious uh journal um Uh, It's called, the name of the story is How I Died Hiking. Except that's not the story that I'm going to tell you, Kyle. (laughs) Um, You're getting something better. Awesome. Uh, If if anybody's interested in reading that story, go look it up. You can find it on the Redline Guiding website, just How I Died Hiking. It's it's short. It's sweet. It may give you chills. Um, But that story came from something that inside of me based on an experience that I had. And actually what we were just talking about decision-making and going forward in the, in the, the whites, especially on like Mount Washington and the presidentials. And that's where that story came from was one of my experiences. Okay. So the day didn't start as planned. I was supposed to hike Mount isolation that day with a friend and you can't see it, but I'm doing air quotes on the friend thing. <laughs> I'm doing the air quotes because they didn't show up. They didn't call nothing. Yikes. So I'm sitting here. It's like seven 30 eight o'clock, whatever. I'm at the Rocky branch trailhead. Uh, I'm not going to do this. I, I, there's, I think this was my first, uh, shot at isolation. I'd never done it before. And I, I, I just, it just wasn't feeling like, but I wanted to hike. I was up there. I was living in Southern New Hampshire at the time. I'm, I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I decided I'm out Washington. The weather was drizzly. Um, at tree line, yeah, that drizzle was freezing on surfaces. Um, I did have traction in the form of micro spikes and I had a full pack. I, I pack pretty well. I'm, I'm fairly thorough and have been for years. Um, 
so I was I was pretty prepared, but it was not a very good day to be hiking, first of all. And uh, there was nobody on Mount Washington. And I decided I'm going to go up to, um, I went up to Takamura Ravina. I went to Hojo's, uh, to Hermit Lake Shelter, and I talked to the caretaker. And he, he says, yeah, it's, it's freezing up there at the, around the rim and, yeah. uh, and, you know, on the summit cone and um, all that stuff. And uh, he says, you're like the only person I've seen all day. So I'm by myself. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I think this is November, December time frame. Uh, was it wasn't quite winter yet, and uh, I went up and I went, you know, I put on microspike when I got up to the rocks up there. There was definitely some ice, and uh, because of the drizzle, that everything was getting coated with ice. And my hard shell basically was, you know, it turned into a half inch thick helmet of ice. <laughs> uh, my trekking poles got very very thick, and I and I talk about this in that story, and all of that comes from that experience. And I went to the summit. I sat, I stood uh, kind of shivery in the, in the shelter and out of the wind and the tip top house on the summit. <laughs> and I went, and I went back down and, and the, and the plan was to go down Lionhead trail, uh, this using the summer route, of course, it was still the way. Um, and I did, and I dropped down and I made it back to Tucker Ravine trail. And I went up to Hojo's actually you have to climb back uphill. Uh, just to tell the caretaker that, hey, I'm off mountain because I didn't see anybody all day. And just just in case he was wondering, I figured I would tell him. I don't think he cared. <laughs> <laughs> and I went back down and nothing happened. And I was none the wiser of, you know, I guess where a lot of people are none the wiser what could happen. But that story that I wrote is a spinoff of that experience. And I felt a little fear up there. And I did feel that, you know, if something went wrong, this, you know, this could be a bad situation. And I, and I debated what I was standing up there. What should, should I do? Yeah. Should I continue on towards the summit? Should I just hit Lionhead Trail? I decided the summit. And as it turns out, because, you know, there's an expression that I've seen, but I have no idea who to attribute it to, but it's the mountains spare most fools. <laughs> I was that fool and I was spared. In other words, I went up there in not ideal conditions. Uh, I was by myself. Things could have gone bad, but they didn't. And I lived to tell about it. And I didn't need a guide, right? Yeah. You know, and if we knew, of course, when we knew we were going to get into, a, say, a car accident, we would, you know, pull the car over. And <laughs> <laughs> so you just don't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know when things are going to go bad. And it's, so that was, that experience was the, the inspiration for that particular story. I got you, man. I got you, yeah. man. And honestly, I, I didn't die. So it was an imagined tale. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. I think that's awesome that you were yeah. able to kind of recognize how you messed up there and and kind of share that story with, with people. I feel like for the most part, hikers are usually pretty good about knowing their limits and, and knowing if they do push those limits too far. But it's yep. it's always a good reminder. Always a good reminder, and um, I'm I'm glad you're able to share that, Mike. We're gonna wrap this up, but before we do, why don't you plug your website and your social media, all that stuff, so people can go check out Redline Guiding next time they're headed up to the Whites. Just go into Google, type in Redline Guiding. Uh, you'll find our red our website, RedlineGuiding.com. Uh, for Facebook's forward slash redline guiding. That's our Twitter and everything posts to that automatically and all that stuff. And 
Uh, on Instagram, same thing, Redline Guiding. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we're pretty easy to find. I'll have a link to all that stuff in the show notes as usual. Um, yeah, everybody go check out the website. Go find that story too. I read it. It's really freaking cool. Um, yeah, Mike, thank you so much, man. This was this was sweet. Really appreciate it. Awesome, Kyle. Thanks for the experience. I really appreciate it. So, and this was and this was fun. I've enjoyed our conversation quite a bit. Dude, me too. We'll have to do another one sometime. Don't hang up quite yet on me, but everybody listening, thank you so much. Yeah, hopefully they're still there. All four or five <laughs> are still hanging on. Ah, uh, dude, I'm, I'm I'm sure they're still there. This this was a good one for sure. Thanks so much cool. for listening, everybody, and have a good one. <laughs>